All right, today we're continuing in the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 10, verses 1 through 13. As you're able, please stand for the reading of God's word. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that allowed that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. This is God's word. You may be seated. All right. Well, good morning, Christ community. Thank you. My name is Tyler Edwards. I'm one of our five elders who serve uh, this, this church, and it's just, as always, an honor to share God's word with you all today. Uh, so, here we are. Paul's pressing on with this, this four-part lesson of what believers in Corinth should do with food that has been sacrificed to pagan idols. I'm sure there's just a collective like, yes, we're still on this topic. Fantastic. Because, <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's not terribly relevant for us today, right? Like, as far as I can tell, you know, Taco Bell doesn't have an altar in the back where they sacrifice meat to the burrito god. Um, I wouldn't put it past him. But uh, this was a significant topic for the church at this time. And so it makes sense that we're continuing to, to talk about this. Uh, but just as a quick reminder, Craig gave a really good overview of this a couple weeks ago. I'd encourage you to go online and listen to it. But just to bring us up to speed again, Corinth, and really the whole Roman Empire, was populated with these pagan temples where people would make offerings to just a, a pantheon of different gods. And with so many animal sacrifices happening each day, there was you know, just a lot of extra meat to go around. Uh, so, so these temples would also function as, as butcher shops and dining halls. And it was entirely common for community members to, to regularly share a meal at these temples. So the Corinthian believers here at this church, they asked Paul in, in this letter that they shared with him, uh, his thoughts on whether Christians could do the same. And, and it seems that there are already members of the church 
who feel perfectly comfortable doing so. We've been talking about this the past couple of weeks. Uh, and now we've already heard in these previous chapters, we know that there's nothing about this, this food that can undo a person's salvation. Right? Eating this meat isn't inherently sinful. In fact, in Mark 7, Jesus himself said that there, there's nothing outside of a person, like, like sacrificial food here, that can defile you. However, what we have here are members of the church who are far more concerned with how close they can get to idolatry without facing the consequences of it. And that is a very dangerous mindset. You see, true faith cannot coexist with idolatry. We have been saved from our sin, not for sin. If we receive the truth of the gospel but continue living a life that happily entertains idols, then we are still liable to God's judgment. That's the issue Paul is aiming to address in our passage today. It's, it's, it's pretty critical. I mean, you hear that. That's a heavy topic. This is a loving wake-up call to evaluate your faith and see where the desires of your heart truly lie. Are they with God or are they with idols? So as we, as we walk through these verses here today, we'll start by looking at this example Paul gives us of Israel's presumptuous faith in the wilderness and how they were led to trust in idols over God. We'll, we'll take a closer look at what idolatry actually is uh, and how pervasive it can be in our own lives. Uh, we'll talk about the nature of Israel's unique idolatry and, and the consequences that they endured because of it. But then we'll, we'll make sure we'll, we'll end on a high note, uh, how Jesus rescues us from idolatry and how God provides us with practical ways to endure tem- temptation. So before we go any further, let me ask God to bless our time in this word. Lord, this passage is a challenge in more ways than one. And God, I pray that you would prepare our hearts to be challenged. God, to be vulnerable, to honestly ask ourselves if we have given our hearts over to idolatry or if we've given them over to you. Have we just had our circumstances changed by your grace, God, or have we, have we had an entire heart change? Lord, help us to do that evaluation today. Help us to flee from idolatry as you call us to and remind us of your faithfulness as we do so. Amen. All right, so so Paul spends the, the bulk of this passage focusing on Israel's wilderness generation. So these are the folks from, from Exodus. He says, look, God's people have fallen prey to this same kind of presumptuous faith before. And what happened to them took place as an example for us. So listen carefully. He starts out by, by recounting how God miraculously intervened to rescue the people of Israel from their slavery in Egypt. He gave them the the pillar of cloud and of fire to follow behind. He split the sea in two. He rained down manna from heaven. He poured out water from the, the rock. He went to these cosmic lengths to affirmatively communicate his love for them, his commitment to them, and his faithfulness to them as his chosen people. 
And he makes clear, uh, Paul makes clear here that all of them, all of them took part in these things. They all came under the cloud. They all walked through the sea and such and so on. Now, if you notice in these, these first few verses here, uh, he, Paul is using this, this new covenant language uh, in his description of their experience as well. He wants to show the Corinthian believers just how similar they are to Israel. So just as Israel was baptized into Moses, they were baptized into Christ. They shared a spiritual meal together just as you share in communion. They drank from the rock just as we get living water from Jesus, who is the true rock. You see, Paul's trying to make it clear that by all visible accounts, both the Israelites and the Corinthians look and function like the people of God. So it should be surprising when we see this big fat nevertheless in verse 5, right? He writes, nevertheless, with most of them, this is Israel now, God was not pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. They fell under God's judgment. Regardless of his miraculous gifts, regardless of their involvement in his work, regardless of their recognition of his faithfulness, Paul says that they desired evil more than they desired him. Well, how do we know that? Because they put their trust in idols rather than God. He says they were idolaters. I'm sure when the Corinthians read that word and they're thinking about going to these temples, they collectively kind of go, <laughs> he said it, didn't he? Idolatry. Okay, go on. So, we've said this word a lot already, idol, idolatry, right? Uh, maybe some of you are familiar with it, but let's, let's just talk about it. What, what is an idol, really? Now, in, in Israel and Corinth, a physical idol was, was some kind of carving or a statue that represented a, a particular god. So, you know, think of like the beginning of, of Raiders when Indiana Jones is, you know, he's getting the monkey idol and he's trying to switch him out. Like that, that kind of a thing. And people would worship and make sacrifices to these things in an attempt to get something from that god in return. But at its core, whether it's, it's a statue Perhaps it's a status. An idol is anything we put our hope in to give us what only God can offer in full. I'm going to say that again. An idol is anything we put our hope in to give us what only God can offer us in full. So for example, um, I have always had a particularly deep longing for approval. Uh, but instead of being satisfied in the fullness of approval that I have in Christ, I am tempted to make an idol of the, of the relationships I have with, with my wife or with my friends or with my coworkers uh, to get from them what I've rejected for God. I'm going to be honest. I've got an idol of preaching. I, mean, I, I was up late with this one last night and I was anxious because I could not get it together and I was anxious because I was worried that I was going to lose your approval. I idolized preaching. And I'm sure that you have your own idols. The heart is an idol factory as, as John Calvin once said. Just consider what you're, what you're longing for. Is it approval? You know, like me. Is it comfort? Control? Power? Now what are you trusting in to give you those things instead of God. 
Are you looking to, to maximize your comfort with, with food or entertainment? Do you feel a sense of control over your happiness when you, when you buy something else on, on Amazon? Do you get more power with, an, with every achievement or, or pay raise that you, that you have at work? Those are your idols. And, and listen, it's interesting that he refers to this as evil, right? When we hear that list I, I just said, we know that those things aren't inherently evil. Uh, just like the food that's being sacrificed in these temples. These are good gifts. But whenever we attempt to elevate those gifts above God, then evil will follow. Idolatry is the means by which sin and death entered our reality in the first place. We doubted God's perfect love for us and endeavored to take it from this this world at any cost. That's the heart of idolatry, and it is deeply evil. So, back to Paul's comparison here. He moves on to give us four specific examples of how Israel surrendered to idolatry so that the Corinthians might not make the same mistake. He starts in verse 7 with a reference to the golden calf. Um, so maybe you're familiar with this. While, while Israel was camped out at the bottom of, of Mount Sinai, uh, waiting on Moses at the top, they, they started to get impatient and doubtful. So they asked Aaron to make an idol. Uh, which uh, it's just a god that they could they could control without Moses' intercession. So they pool all their their loose gold together. They create this statue of a calf, saying, "This god also brought you out of Egypt," which is just insane. Like, did you see him there? Like, was he a part of that? No, but okay. Um, they made a sacrifice to it, and then they feasted in worship of it. You see, they were desperate for a sense of control. But instead of, instead of trusting in God's timing and direction, they put their faith in an idol to get it on their own terms. So Paul pleads with the Corinthians, do not be idolaters as they were. He continues in verse 8. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. Now here he's, he's referencing to the time that Israel's men, longing for, for approval, longing for comfort, whatever it might be, took it for themselves from the daughters of Moab. And in doing so, they began to worship the Moabite idols alongside them. Now, sexual immorality here, that's, that's less of a carved idol, sacrificial food kind of situation, right? Uh, but if you recall from, from earlier in this series, that the head deity of Corinth was Aphrodite, who was the, the goddess of love. So just as it was common to eat at these temples, it was all the more common to solicit a prostitute at, at her temples. So the temptation for Corinthian believers to indulge in sexual immorality, that was pervasive. It doesn't have to be a carved image. We just talked about that. We could use sexual immorality just in the same way to get the things that we want that only God offers in full. In verses 9 and 10, Paul urges them not to put Christ to the test and not to grumble as the Israelites did. I'm going to lump these two together here. Uh, as they journeyed through the wilderness, they were understandably anxious to regain some kind of comfort, right? Like, I'm in the desert. This is terrible. I am very uncomfortable. Uh, we all would be, right? I, I'm sure. But even when God miraculously gave them food, like he, God literally cloudy with a chance of meatballed them with food from the sky. 
Even when he gave them food, even when he gave them water from a rock, they, cons- they constantly professed this longing for their former lives in Egypt. And at least there, we, we ate and drank regularly. You know, we had beds, we had shelter. So what if we were enslaved? I mean, huh, Egypt, in, in some terribly ironic way, became an idol to them. The thing that they were just miraculously freed from. Do you resonate with that? And in each of these examples, we see that their idolatry was met with severe consequences. They justly fell under God's judgment. 23,000 fell in a single day. Hundreds were killed by poisonous serpents. Many of them were simply destroyed for their treasonous sin. And listen, you may hear that and be tempted to think, how cruel. Why would God treat his own people so harshly? Because in spite of his infinite kindness and patience towards them, they spit in his face and exchanged his freedom for their former slavery. God also intended to show us just how dire the consequences will be if we go on living in unrepentant idolatry as well. We do the same thing. And not necessarily that we would be struck down or that he would fill the YMCA with, with fiery serpents. That'd be terrible. <laughs> uh, but, but that we would come under his final judgment. You see, when Jesus went to the cross, all of God's wrath towards sin was poured out on him in order that we might be spared from it. But if we spend our lives rejecting his salvation in exchange for our idols, the wrath remains for us, and we will endure it for all eternity. That's why Paul is so desperate to warn the Corinthians, and really to warn us. He aims to say that you are headed down the same path of destruction, He pleads with them in verse 12, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. If you presume that you are firmly standing on Jesus' salvation simply because of your participation in the faith, much like Israel, then it is only a matter of time before you are tempted to worship the same idols that you currently entertain. Do not take idolatry lightly. I I don't care if if the food is fine to eat or not. If you think that you can go and eat at these places and not be tempted in any way to worship alongside them, you're kidding yourself. And at this point, Christ community, we have to take heed as well. Has Jesus truly changed the desires of my heart? Or am I living in idolatry while presuming on his grace? Has Jesus truly changed the desires of my heart or am I living in idolatry while presuming on his grace? You know, maybe, maybe you're like the Israelites. You've heard the gospel. You've experienced God's redemptive work firsthand. You come to church most Sundays. You take communion. You serve in some capacity. You do it all. And yet, you daily put your trust in idols to fulfill what only God can. Whether it's in comfort food, shopping online, relationships, sex, alcohol, even in the appearance of holiness itself. 
you are perpetually bowing down to these things all the while presuming that your salvation is assured by your presence in the church. Is that you? Oh, man. Or maybe you're like the Corinthians. You presume on the freedom and security of the gospel in such a way that you happily entertain idolatrous activities. You know, maybe you consistently go out drinking with your your non-Christian friends uh, and convince yourself that it's for the sake of ministry, right? Uh, you and your boyfriend get as close to, to sex as you can without crossing the line. You know, maybe, maybe you're, you follow social media influencers or you are, you're one yourself who maybe, maybe you write about Jesus, but in the same post, you tell others how to buy your outfit and envy your lifestyle. No matter what it may be, our duplicitous faith will only lead us to an eternity of judgment in the end. But though it may not feel like it right now, friends, this is not meant to be a word of condemnation. All right? This is a blazing hazard light designed to redirect our hearts from the worthless idols to our faithful Savior. He is faithful. You see, when we look back at Israel's idolatry, the, the examples that we just gave here and the, the consequences that followed, you might have noticed something. Paul doesn't mention any judgment that came down after the the golden calf incident, which really in comparison is like peak idolatry here, right? But no one dropped dead after that. No one, uh, you know, the snakes didn't come up. What happened? Why? Because Moses interceded for Israel's forgiveness. God was getting ready to just wipe them out in that moment for their sin. But Moses pleaded with God on their behalf to forgive them and relent from his anger. And he did. In the same way, Jesus is interceding for us right now. Friends, there is no sin, no idolatry, no prideful presumption that he did not take to the grave on your behalf. And even as we succumb to temptation now, after we've been saved, Jesus says uh, to the Father, I paid that debt. I took that wrath. These are my people. And I am their Savior. He is faithful, even when we are not. Friends, Jesus is faithful, even when we are not. No matter how long you've been enslaved to your idols, no matter how much they've cost or how committed you've been to them, Jesus will intercede for you. As Hebrews 7.25 puts it, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. He is always pleading your case. Now, Paul thankfully ends this passage on uh, another high note in verse 13. Here he wants to give us three words of encouragement for how believers can endure the temptation of idolatry when it presents itself. So first, he says that there is, there's no temptation that has overtaken you that is not common to man. The temptation that invites you to embrace your idols, it's, it's not unique to you. There are all kinds of people here at Christ Community who have been enticed by the same thing in perhaps the same way. God has given us this community to share our shortcomings and to keep one another accountable and to be and to collectively celebrate God's victory over sin in our lives. 
You don't have to fight this temptation alone. Second, he reminds us that God is faithful. That he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. In fact, we can never be tempted beyond our ability to reject idolatry because he has given us his Holy Spirit. God is living inside you now. If you have given yourself to Christ, he empowers your faith. Uh, he, He guides your decisions and he gives us eyes to see the true nature of our idols. We have the ability to flee from idolatry. And finally, Paul says that with temptation, he will also provide a way of escape. God will never allow you to face a kind of temptation where sin is your only option. He will graciously provide a clear way of escape. We can ask him to to reveal it in those moments of weakness. It may be as simple as, you know, should I go to this temple and eat the sacrificial meat? Nah, don't do it. That's your option. Take it. Now, in verse 14, which is where we're going to pick up next Sunday, Paul summarizes this passage with a loving plea. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Flee from idolatry. Christ's community, my friends, my church family, let me encourage you as Paul does. Flee from idolatry. Run to your faithful Savior. No matter how you have fallen short, he is faithful and will forgive and will hold you fast. He will give you a way of escape. He has given you a way to endure. Idolatry does not have to rule your life anymore. Let Jesus Remember the example that that God has given us in Israel. Do not presume that your participation in the faith or your experience of God's goodness is enough to keep you free from it. Ask Jesus to change the desires of your heart entirely. That you would trust him with the fullness of your life and run from the false gods who seek to hold you captive. Let me pray for us. My God, empower Christ's community to flee from idolatry. Show us the true nature of it, Lord. Show us that it will never fulfill us in the way that we presume it will. And God, please help us to do a real heart check today. Help us to really evaluate our faith. God, help us to see if we're presuming on these good gifts you've given us on this participation we have in the church? Are we presuming on those things for our salvation? Or do we truly love you with the fullness of our hearts? God, change our heart's desires to treasure you above anything else, to hope in you, to trust in you above anything else, because there is nothing better. Jesus, empower us with a way of escape. God, when we confront our idolatry, help us to flee from it. God, we can do all these things in your name. Amen.